Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Dorug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangara Whenua of Tefanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. Ah! Happy Potiversary! Happy one-year Potiversary! And thank you for being just as weird as me and agreeing that we should do it on the same date. I'm very excited about this. I was explaining about how it's like so fun to mark this little event and I just really love it. It's a special day now in my heart and yeah. life. 7 November, pod day. Pod day. Yay. We did love it. it. Cheers. Cheers. And hasn't it just been the best thing ever? <laughs> I've loved this year so much. I love that we just like hang out every week and it's the thing we do and we get to talk about books and I love you. I love that you've made me slightly saltier. I love that we have memes. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet memes. <laughs> so many memes, all of the memes. I sent you one I that I knew you would love today, a, a TikTok that I was like, Jen will love this so much. Last night when you sent me a post and I saw the notification on Tumblr, I'm like, this better be about Lee Pace when I was opening it. It was not about Lee Pace, but that's the thought <laughs> that I said in my head. I do my best to like supply you with, pardon me, with the thirst pictures, but you're on top of it. You you know where all the thirst pictures are. You've got it. <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, it has honestly just been so lovely. It's been lovely like making this room in my life every week just to mm. talk about things. I think it has genuinely made me a better reader. And like, and obviously I've read so much more this year than any year in recent memory. So that's been amazing. And I yeah. credit you for that really largely. Aww. But also just like having you in my life. Like we've been friends for so long and now it's like, yeah, it's serious business friendship now. Yeah, it's a for real thing now. It's not like, oh yeah, that person that I really like and we should be good friends. It's like, no, we've done it. We are good friends now. It actually happened. Yeah, it's the best. Through the power of podcasting. I love it. And also just making it a ritual, which I love too. Yeah, I think that's really the thing, isn't it? Like making the time, giving ourselves the time to think about things and thinking about deep topics and then mm. just, yeah, the ritual of actually recording as well. Yay. Amazing. I'm so happy. Me I too. I love our project so much. I love our friendship <laughs> so much. Me too. We're amazing. Yay. <laughs> and we've had natural disasters today, kind of low key. So that's been fun. Yeah, we just had an earthquake about an hour ago, which, you know, is fine. Like, most people in New Zealand don't care. They're just, like, normal, everyday things. But I've only been living here seven years, and I'm still not used to them, and I don't like them. And this one was really long, and I did not like it. Yeah. I had to have a lie down. They make me feel a bit sick. Yeah, fair enough. I took your suggestion of having a lie down after that, because we had a thunderstorm that passed right overhead. Like, no time, no space between the lightning flash and the thunder, and it was super loud. And I just felt like my heart was everywhere but in my chest, so... um. Mm. I took your suggestion, had to lie down, and my little one came and cuddled me, and it was really nice. Yay. I'm glad he was there on hand to provide the cuddles. I was talking about, you know, my kids and their different sensory needs today, and someone was like, what are the things you have to do? And I'm like, oh, my son is the kind of person who needs to be yeeted regularly because he, he loves to be picked up and, like, thrown around, and he loves really rough horseplay. And so, like, there was a lot of, oh, no, I'm going to squish you. And, like, I'd roll over and squish Aww. him. And he just loves it. He's absolutely that kid. It's so cute. It's really fun. 
So how was your week? Oh, it's been another long week. I think they're all just going to be very long as we limp towards the end of the year. Mm. But that was fine. I had to take, well, I didn't take it off, but I worked from home on Thursday because I was such a chaotic presence in the office on Wednesday. I'm like, I cannot <laughs> subject my co-workers to another day of this. So on Friday when I walked in, I'm like, I'm back. I hope you're ready to be distracted yet again. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed your day off, but I'm here to be a nuisance. Like tracking it or something. They're like, wow, our productive days are all of Jen's work from home days. Hmm. <laughs> that would be me as well. I love having a good time at work. I mean, I like doing the work and I like getting stuff done, but I also really liked the opportunity to connect. So yeah. And distract. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I was very <laughs> distracting. But then on Friday, I was in such a foul mood. At one point, I just laid on the floor because we sit quite far apart just the way our desks are aligned at the moment and a lot of people aren't there. So I sit sort of in this back row by myself and then there's like two desks that are empty between me and the rest of the team and then mm. they sort of sit in a triangle formation and I just went and lay down on the floor in between their desks like oh save me from all this Aww. and they were like great great good job Jen good work Aww. so I'm gonna take them some baked goods on Monday to make up for being such a grump on Friday because I am nice beautiful baked goods will <laughs> fix everything I firmly Absolutely. believe it did you have a moment of wonder yeah actually so off the back of all this nonsense at work we have a vegetarian um, colleague and we were talking about this amazing halloumi burger and she hadn't had it before and so we were like we must go have the halloumi burger so on friday we decided to go on a little burger outing and we yeah it was raining so we decided to uber there which was a bit of a disaster but that's fine <laughs> and then yeah we had like this lovely hour and a bit long lunch where we had a halloumi burger and just complained about the patriarchy which is what you want on a friday really the best um, yeah yeah really enjoyed it it's like basically an entire block of halloumi that's just crumbed with like a honey glass and it's oh. like that's the burger that would be actually because like, i like halloumi but i only like like one bite of it i think because it's so much but if you put it in a burger i think that would be kind of perfect yeah yeah it cuts through it it's really yum did it have pickles yeah. i love a pickle there's a lot of pickles on it when you one day when it's allowed come and visit me i will take you for a burger yes tell me about your week okay so i think i had a pretty low-key week i did a lot of shopping like i had to go to costco and like because it's a whole thing and i haven't been in a year it was like i had to book in the time and like gird my loins so to speak to go mm. and like I'm double vaccinated and I wore a mask and sanitized the heck out of everything but it's still like all the way in Lidcombe and I live not near Lidcombe so it's like a drive and then like you spend so much money at once that like I kind of get a bit shaky doing that like even though I know mm. I will be not buying those groceries at a slightly higher price for however long we have the like bulk stuff it still feels like <gasps> sticker shock mm. you know but I managed to make it through and then there's a Daiso across the road which I didn't know until I had googled and I was like I haven't been to Daiso in forever so I treated myself to a little walk through Daiso because I was like mm -hmm. I deserve some very cheap Japanese things that are cute and I got some really cute like little acrylic containers so these ones have like lids oh yeah so I got some things like that and then I got all of the Pocky for my kids um, and then yesterday, my son, who's been obsessed with this coding app, he's been trying to figure out a way to get around the app limits because he doesn't know the app pin. And he restarted his iPad in front of us. And he's like, I'm going to get rid of the app limits. And we were like completely proud. <laughs> I mean, it didn't work because it's not how they work. They roll over at midnight. But it made us laugh so much that he was like figuring out this way. And I'm like, go you. Also, don't really figure it out. But yes. So that was my problem of, solving. Like, wonder. So I was like, he's really figuring it out. He's the ultimate pen tester. I love it. Amazing. He tries. 10 <laughs> points for trying. 
And my daughter has started a She-Ra rewatch, which is awesome, because I'm still not all the way through it, so I'll go join her when she's... I think I'm halfway through season three, so... Yeah, that's good. When you were telling me about her rewatch, I was just thinking about how Adora is just, like, such a himbo. <laughs> she is a himbo. <laughs> I mean, I have so many favorites, but, like, I think two of my favorite characters are Bo and Scorpia. Scorpia's great. She is great, because she's like me. She's an optimist, no matter what. She's always looking on the bright side and trying to do the right thing and seeking that connection and, like... Bad guy, yeah. good guy, doesn't really matter. She's just like a relentless ray of sunshine. Adorable. Love that. Yeah. Good times. <sighs> so this week we're reading chapters 25 through 29 through the theme of doubt. Do you have a story for us? Yeah. So I'm going to talk some more about my work, lol. Yay. Um, what a thrilling, thriller minute for everyone. Listen, everybody has to put up with me talking about kids. I think it's only fair that you get to talk about work just as much. You actually earn money doing it, whereas I do not, so... <laughs> you should though that, that's a different conversation yeah, for real. so a couple of weeks ago I was given this task at work it's um, very much outside of the scope of my actual job but that's not unusual for me I usually end up doing a lot of things that actually have nothing to do with what I'm employed to be doing I don't mind that I like being nosy and getting involved in things I'll basically take any task that they give me Sometimes I'll complain, especially if it's a finance task, because I'm not financial. But, you know, I'll still give it a crack. I can figure it out. But, you know, it won't surprise you to hear that I prefer working on things by myself. I am not a natural collaborator. I much prefer just doing something on my own and then I will go and get feedback from others. I just like doing that initial stuff on my own. I despise group work. And when someone at work says the word brainstorm... I think I die a little inside every time. So it's it can be challenging sometimes, you know. I feel like I was really lied to in high school when I would complain about group work and my teachers would be like, J you know, just do it now. Once you go to university, you won't have to do group work anymore. Blatant lies. It never ends. Yeah. Anyway, so I was quite content to just crack on with my little project until it was strongly suggested that I quote unquote have a meeting with someone else who is kind of tangentially related to the project. They're working on a something similar for my wider team. They're not in my team though. My instinct was screaming no don't do it but you know I have been a problem child a lot recently so I'm like no Jen do the thing. It's just a little charade of teamwork you know it couldn't hurt just give it a go. Hmm. So off I go I have the meeting and I decide to invite another colleague along and I sit there I outline the problem and I go over what we need and after some to and fro I realize that this tangential person actually has some documents that would be super handy for me to have and so I asked them to send them to me. That's it. That's the outcome of the meeting. You send me your reference documents. I'll do a draft. I'll circulate it for feedback. Next day, I come in and there's an email from this person and it's turned into the biggest deal you can imagine. And I'm just sitting there blinking at this email being like, okay, so now you're leading this project and you're asking for all these things and you're making it into a really big deal. And it's not a big deal. It's just supposed to be a draft and I'm doing the draft and all I wanted from you was a document. So I immediately just messaged the other person who was in this meeting because now I'm doubting myself you know mm. doubt creeps in I'm wondering was I not clear in the meeting did I miscommunicate did I not set expectations did I not explain the project parameters am I just bad at explaining things maybe it's me so I messaged my other colleague and I'm like you know what did you think the outcome of that meeting was and she replies they were going to send you some documents and you were going to do a draft I'm like okay cool so it's not me I am not incompetent um, I'm not going mad that is not a thing that is happening like I was right basically yeah it's just interesting to me how quick I was to doubt myself I didn't think that I had been unclear but there was still a part of me that was saying this was somehow my fault 
And I think that comes back to that sort of imposter syndrome that women in particular experience in the workplace, right? Like there's so much self-doubt, this idea that, you know, despite your education and your experience or your accomplishments, you're somehow still not good enough to be in the position that you're in mm. or you're not worthy of being there. And, it, you know, how much brain space that must take up, how much anxiety that comes with it, how much energy you're expending fighting yourself as well as fighting these legitimate battles in the workplace when others do underestimate you or don't respect your experience or accomplishments. So, you know, I'm fairly confident at work and I'm not afraid of pushing back when I'm misread or underestimated, as was the case with this particular meeting. But if I didn't have someone else who could confirm that what I thought had happened had happened, I don't know if I would have pushed back. It would have been more awkward and weird. And I so often get messages from my friends that are like, tell me if I'm overreacting or tell me if I'm being crazy or Mm. there's just this undercurrent of self-doubt that runs through our lives that we need to check against others. Like we need to fact check our own lived experiences to make sure that, you know, they're legitimate. I don't think it's a problem exclusive to women, but I think it's way more common for women to feel like this because we so often have our emotions and our reactions belittled and dismissed. So we start to doubt that they're even real. It's hard. I get it. I often really struggle. What did I say? What did I do? Like, you can't trust your own memory. You're gaslighting yourself. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And look, I think the number one thing I learned, I was always meeting with teachers and various speech therapists, is I just have a notebook. I can put a picture up in the show notes for everybody. But it's basically just an A5 hardcover notebook. And I just write everything down on it. Every meeting I have goes in there. Every therapy appointment, it all goes in there. And then when I fill it up, I file it and I get a new one. It's interesting because I perform so much better under pressure right so I'm mm. fine like you know I'm, I'm a high performer normally but under pressure is when I truly excel like if I have to make a decision at a high stakes environment I think that's when I'm at my best like when the adrenaline is spiking like everything just slows down and I can just be really make really concise decisions and just back myself and I will back myself every day of the week in a high pressure situation but when it's like low stakes like a meeting at work suddenly I don't trust myself I'm like hmm well, maybe maybe I am wrong, you know? <laughs> I find it weird that I can't replicate that certainty that I experience under pressure in, like, a normal everyday situation. And why would you want to? Why would you want to feel like just doing a draft is a life or death thing? No, that's right. <laughs> and it's not. It was not a big deal. I'm like, why have we got completely different outputs mm. from the exact same inputs? I don't understand. Ah, Such is life. Indeed. This makes me kind of glad that I just work with kids and I am the manager, you know? <laughs> well thank you for sharing your story Jen that's all good I'm sorry you felt any doubt because you are amazing and you know what you're doing and you're extremely capable and that person can get in the sea (laughs) shall I do chapter summaries for us yes please tell us oh this is such a good section it's my favorite part of the book actually so I'm very excited uh the gangsy go back later to find the woods which are called caveswater the trees speak latin Noah is sick on the ley line after they find a car Mora finally cottons onto Blue sneaking around with her raven boys. Blue agrees to meet Gansey alone one afternoon to return to the old church. They search for the ley line and find a body instead. Back at Monmouth, Gansey confronts the boys with the improbable news that they've been haunted. Dun dun dun! Oh, it's so good! It's so good. So we read through the theme of doubt, and I had to think of doubt as like the state of uncertainty with regard to truth or reality of anything, or undecidedness. And I actually went like really deep cut on it. I was thinking about like what's the root of it, and it comes from, it's a Proto-Indo-European word. Uh, The root is from duo, meaning two, of two minds. And you can see that the word for doubt in German is like zwei something, which is like also two. So it's got a same, it's got the same root. So basically like two minds. So I started to apply that as well. Like anytime that they were torn between two things or they couldn't decide, I was like, oh, there's doubt about what they're actually feeling. 
I just looked up the German. Yeah, right? Zweifel. Yeah, whereas zwei is two. Which in Afrikaans is Twifel. There you zwei, go. Twifel, Twifel. So you can see where the root comes. Yeah, anyway. Yay. Language. I know. It's so much fun. <laughs> um, so that meant, that means for me that the antonym is like certainty or trust. like, mm. And that like then follows into connection. So I had a lot of fun with this section. How about you? Yeah, it was interesting because when I think about doubt, the first thing I always think about is doubt, capital D, doubt. So it's like when you doubt an ex- external force that gives meaning to your life, right? Like you're, re- you're doubting your religion, you're mm. doubting, you know, something bigger than you, a system or a process. Because I feel like when you hear about doubt, that's usually what people talk about. You know, they talk about their spiritual doubt. Yeah. Which in a way is, Gansey's quest is a spiritual quest in a way. It absolutely is. I am suspicious of anybody in any religion who's 100% certain all of the time. I feel like you have mm. to have doubt because you need to be questioning, you need to be interrogate. Like if you have a religion, for me, this is how it works, is that my faith and beliefs are in constant conversation with me as I'm growing and changing. Like there isn't actually any certainty because I don't know. Like I don't know. That's why it's faith. So I think doubt's a really important component of faith. One of my favorite things that Gansey said to this point was, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I don't know what I expected when we found the ley line, mm. which I really love because he's looking for something, but he, he doubts what he's actually looking for. He has no idea. Yeah, it's fascinating because he doesn't doubt his quest. Like he doesn't doubt mm. his path, but he does doubt in smaller ways. Like he has concerns about, you know, what is this thing you've done? What have you yeah. brought them to? You know, like he doubts involving others. He doubts what he's actually going to find, but he doesn't doubt the tenant of why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. And like when he's talking about his experience with blood about you know dying and things and he's like yeah. so certain that it wasn't a hallucination mm-hmm. it would have been perfectly reasonable to think that it was a hallucination you know but he's convinced that it isn't he's got no doubt there this is the thing is that we're in this story and there's so much about magic magic is real they're getting the proof of it right like they have the proof of it now the trees talk to them and mm. like ronan has folded back in time left himself a message on a rock like there's so much about this that is clearly like supernatural Mm. and it's real to them but they're all trying to make sense of it and Gansey's the only one who really can yeah he's the one who makes everything realistic and reasonable and touches it like he links these he's the connector right he makes all of these concepts palatable he's the logical force behind the emotion and you really see that when Ronan is freaking out that he's left himself a message in a place he's never been before and he says but you know it plays with time you came back later and left this message that's what's happened like he makes it okay for Ronan and Adam as well I just think it's really beautiful speaking of Ronan in that moment just love how Ronan subtly insults himself this entire time so he talks about the Latin being crappy well it's your Latin buddy and then he complains about the mosquitoes. M- magical mosquitoes I'm like <laughs> you put them there this is your wood this is your place Cape you've done to this you. yeah I love that too I love that he was annoyed I mean I think Ronan just has a disposition to be annoyed by things yeah relate <laughs> I love so much that he drops his like cool sulky nonsense and you get to see him really connect like he spends a bit of time when he and Blue were talking and she's like can you say hello that's polite and he says salve and then he says that actually means be well like he's not being condescending or rude he's just communicating Mm. she says can you ask them if they'll speak with us that seems polite and he's like being polite but then he does it and then he translates for them all and he there's a great line um, it, it was about where he was like, he, he couldn't be cool or sulky because he was too busy concentrating. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. He forgot to be cool. Page 249, I believe it's on. Yeah, 251, yeah. 
Sorry, Ronan said. He was concentrating too hard to remember to look cool or surly. It's because I, on 249, I love when he, Gansey's asking him how to say, you know, how do I ask why you can't hear them? And Ronan's like, God, Gansey, if you paid attention. And I'm like, the irony of Ronan telling Gansey off for not paying attention in class is just chef's kiss. Love it. It's so funny. Yeah, yeah. It's like the one class that he cares about. So, of course, he's really, like, hard on other people for not doing it. I get it, Ronan. I did love that Adam was appreciating his poetry of swearing, though. Oh, Adam's appreciating a lot in my Adam and Ronan watch section. Like, the poetry thing. And also when he makes that observation about how Ronan is really kind with Chainsaw and how he's never seen that thoughtless kindness from Ronan before. And also the fact that they both answer at the same time when they talk about Latin. And Adam recognizes Ronan's handwriting. Yeah, I love that. It's quite an intimate thing. It really is. Like, it means that they've spent time looking at each other's handwriting. I think it's important to note that they go into the woods not really expecting anything. Mm. Adam, first of all, admits to himself that he's always had doubts about whether or not magic was real, and he's trying to reconcile what that means as the audience, as the reader. He's sort of our first introduction into the world, into Gansey in a lot of ways. He's our voice of reason. He's our everyman. So for him to believe means that we're able to believe, right? Yeah, and he's already told us previously that, you know, his faith isn't as strong as Ronan's, right? Mm. So he has always been a bit, yeah, whatever. Yes. Not convinced. So now to find himself in this position where he can't deny it, he's the logic person, right? He's the pragmatist of the group. Like, he's always willing to play the game, but he doesn't actually believe it in the same way that Gansey does and that Ronan seems to. I wanted to talk a little bit about that hesitation they have when they enter Caveswater because they're standing like on the fringe of the woods and they're looking into it and they're trying to drum up the courage to Mm. go in, right? And I wondered, is there a link between trepidation and doubt? Like that fear and anxiety about something happening. And if we think about doubt as uncertainty or lack of conviction... Yeah. You know, is anxiety just the, or trepidation, just the natural result of doubt? So does that mean that doubt has to be there first in order for that feeling to exist? Like if they were convinced that there was going to be something good in there, if they didn't have any doubt, then they wouldn't feel trepidation, right? Yeah. There's something to that. Although I think you have to have a preformed idea before you can doubt. I think you have to have something that your doubt feels like it's something you're reacting against. I think without something for sure, it's just normal fear or anxiety. But I think doubt is when you have, like, something has happened and you're reacting to it or you anticipate something specific. It feels like there's a specificity to doubt that. Mm. Like with Adam saying, I don't know that I ever really believed it was real. And, you know, also there's that comment in the beginning where he says he's been part of this group of friends for so long that he doubts his judgment when he makes his own decisions. Mm. And that was in regards to sort of folding Blue into the group. Like, that's because he's doing something differently than they have done for the past year, year and a half or whatever. I think it might be part of it, but I would say ish. Like, it's doubt-ish. Doubt feels like there's an action or a reaction inherent in it. Something to push against. But that's just me threading the needle of semantics, really. No, that makes sense. Um, another thing that's tangential, maybe, I don't know. But you know when Adam is in the car with Ronan and he describes himself as a quick study because he has no ego to get in the way? Yeah, what? I, I felt that's so ridiculous because he has so much pride, right? Mm. But then maybe there is a difference between ego and pride. Like if pride is like a sense of self-respect and ego is more how someone perceives you. So maybe he doesn't, but he does have ego about how people perceive him. Yeah. So he's got a lot of ego. Yeah, he does. He has, and I, I, that one really caught me too because I felt like it wasn't true. 
true, but I had to think about why I felt like it wasn't true, especially if we accept that in the text it is true. Um, and I think it's that when he doesn't know something, he's willing to go and learn it. And he also mm. knows how quick he is. He, he just isn't very forgiving when it's other people, you know? Mm. So I think that not having ego is like, yes, I don't know how to do this, but I will learn and that's fine, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I get Yeah. So actually he doesn't have ego in the sense that he always has to be right. Like he doesn't have that vibe, right? Yeah, because he wants to be better at things. So he's willing to improve himself like that part mm. of improving yourself is recognizing that you're not where you want to be. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. That's resolved that for me. Thank you. No, that's okay. <laughs> that was like the only way I could get my head around it too, because I'm thinking like he's the most prickly person of all of them like Ronan is just out and out hostile but Adam is like the one that you could offend yeah also Ronan just swearing swearing at him I'm like that is not a helpful way to teach people Ronan (laughs) I think they just expect Ronan to act badly and he does Mm. I want to talk a little bit about Noah so Gansey and Blue find Noah's skeleton and they realize that the friend that they have had, like this is Gansey's friend and he's actually been dead the whole time they've known him. And we find this out definitively through Adam's perspective because Gansey comes to get him from work and they're like, he like summons Noah back to Monmouth and, and he keeps talking about how Adam was suddenly profoundly aware that Noah was a dead thing and he was not. And also really Noah was so much less real than Ronan, Adam thought it should have been obvious. But here's the yes, thing. It should have. Why would you doubt that that your friend is alive? Like they are acting alive and they are walking and talking and going with you and complaining about stuff and basically they seem alive enough. Like why would you doubt that they are yeah. not? Especially in Adam's case where, you know, we know that he didn't think the supernatural was real or that magic was real. So if you come at it from that point of view and you don't believe in these things, then obviously you're not going to question it. You know, whereas someone like Persephone would have taken one look at Noah and he would would have been like, oh, it's a ghost. Yeah, exactly. Like to see clearly what he is that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to flag that because I thought it was really interesting that you know, they're all like, once they know, it seems really obvious. And we get this a few times, right? Like there's another line where like, oh, the translation was really obvious for Gansey once Ronan had done the heavy lifting. And uh, now that Ronan pointed out that it was his handwriting, Adam could clearly see that it was obviously his handwriting. So there was a lot of this, like something about this is getting me. But then once the doubt is removed or once the like uncertainty is removed, it seems like you should have always known it forever. But it's the same for us as readers, right? Because we've been on ghost watch the entire time. Mm-hmm. The seeds are there. The entire time oh yeah the entire time like if you were a a very i don't know astute reader you could have probably been like oh noah's dead i don't don't, i've not not come across anyone who picked that before they got to this bit but you know maybe there is someone it did it totally killed me when it happened like i had to put the book down and walk away yeah and then you were like but he said he was a ghost i didn't know he meant it (laughs) like haha you've been dead for seven years what an emo thing to say this little kid who never eats and is so smudgy and dirty and has obviously never slept in bed I I wanted to ask you, this is kind of a like sideways thing about connection. Mm -hmm. When they're in the back of the Camaro and it's cold, 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 and Adam is feeling that cold, 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 and that's after she sort of like yanked Noah to her and yanked Adam to her. Is Blue like then the conduit and like Noah's pulling all that energy from Blue and she's then pulling it from Adam? Like, is it because they're all touching that Adam is feeling that same internal like coldness? I assume so. That's what I read it as. Like, because, yeah, Noah's leeching Blue's heat, right? Like, leeching her energy. So it makes sense that she would then transfer it or amplify it. Because she's an amplifier. Yeah. That was in Ghostwatch for me when he's like, I know he said bleakly. <laughs> poor, <laughs> poor Noah. I know. Poor boy. He, he needs a hug. Uh, we have some tree watch. I found that there was a lot of interesting tree watch. 
Yeah, a lot of trees in this section. Yeah, the trees were happy to see Blue, naturally. <laughs> Usually happy to see your family. <clears throat> I love that she was also like, I think we should trust them, because there was doubt from Gansey, where he's like, I don't know yeah. if we should trust these trees. Adam, too, was like, mm, they are telling us the trees are talking to us. And she's just like, no, nah, they knew who I was. They knew Ronan. It's fine, right? Um, and she's the first one to notice that the seasons are changing, too, because she's always looking at the trees. Also, she's gluing cardboard trees to her bedroom walls. Which is a weird thing to do, but you know, you do you, Blue. <laughs> I was looking around at my room and I was like, I wonder if I could do that. And then I'm like, there are no walls. Like, I have no space in my room anywhere. Like, every wall has... It's covered. It's covered. Like, <laughs> I love the literary tradition of trees that can, like, watch and act. So, you know, it made me think of Fangorn Forest and Lord of the Rings. Mm. When, you know, is it Adam who says, well, we haven't always been good to trees, so I wouldn't blame them if they yeah, were kind think. to humans. Yeah, yeah, if I were a tree, I would have no reason to love a human. Yeah, and so you know how in Fangorn, when they go in, um, it's in the two towers, and Gimli's got his axe up and the trees get all angry and Aragorn's like, please lower your axe. And then they go and kill all the orcs because they've got that real vendetta about the orcs cutting down the trees. Mm. And that's what spurs the ents into action is the fact that Saruman cut down the trees. But also in Game of Thrones, there's this whole thing with the weirwood trees, which are the white ones with the red leaves, right? And this mm -hmm. idea that these trees have been so, so ancient and connected to the old religion and they can theoretically show you anything perceived by another tree in that world at any time. So Bran uses it to kind of like travel back and forth in time. Trees yeah. are the best. There is a great book I read. I wish I could remember the name of it, but it basically talks about how they're all <laughs> interconnected and how they do communicate and how like an old growth forest. Like, yes, you have this sapling that's like super, super, super small for like 50 years. And then once it actually gets high enough up, it starts to grow like more quickly. But because of that, it's like really good, strong hardwood. It's this German guy. He does, He's like a forestry manager in Germany and he's talking about all of their old growth deciduous forests and like the importance of trees and how they actually communicate I just loved it so much I will find the title and put it in the show notes because I feel like everybody should read it because they do talk to each other and they do remember and they like if there's a stump in the forest sometimes the trees will just give nutrients to the stump even if the stump isn't producing anything like they are better at supporting their disabled brethren than humans are at times and they're friggin trees Anyway, I will get off my tree rant. Trees are amazing. Blue is right. <laughs> yeah, and um, there was only one Ronanimal sort of reference, which was on page 237. Adam was remembering his time inside the tree, and it was Ronan crouched beside Gansey, his face miserable, snarling. Are you happy now, Adam? Mm. Is this what you wanted? Um, and I thought that the snarling was kind of the only, like, animalizing, depersonalizing thing. Because Ronan was so beautifully human, and, like, everybody just loved him, and he was lovable to everyone not that he's not always lovable but you know he's often very difficult on purpose yeah I, he's got a good heart though underneath all of that snarl right like Absolutely. that's the thing with him he is he's got a tough exterior but he does care about the people he cares about and we see this with you know with his brother all the time with matthew like he adores matthew yeah but everybody adores matthew because matthew's great mm. but also just ronan and chainsaw just give me life together i love how he's just like this little he's so soft for chainsaw it's so cute <laughs> We talk about Gansey saying this is precisely why I didn't want to have a baby with you. I, I don't think anybody thinks that Gansey and Ronan aren't dating, honestly. They must be like, oh, they're a couple because Gansey and Ronan <laughs> act so married sometimes. Like, Gansey does nothing to dissuade this. And also, his choice of couture does not suggest a straight man. I'm just saying. Oh my god, you're falling over again. <laughs> it's because I'm so excited about this aquamarine polo shirt. 
And these terrible shoes. The top <laughs> Did you appreciate me hunting up images for you? I thought I would just put together a little Gansey pin board. It's truly the worst shoes ever. Like the first time it's mentioned in this book, I had to Google it and I'm like, oh my gosh, no, Ronan's right to tease him. Like I'm not pro bullying, <laughs> but I mean, come on. I don't care what kind of shoes he wears. I think he's a lovely boy. It just does make me laugh, though, because they're very much like old dude shoes. They are old dude shoes. It's like a politician. But I suppose that's his whole thing, right? Like, he's a politician. But... Well, he, he's the son of politicians, which I think is more like when you're a kid, you wear what your parents buy for you, right? And if they're comfortable and you enjoy it, then why would you stop, even if your friends think you look like an idiot? It just goes to show that money can't buy style. <laughs> It's just yet again this is true reinforcing this long-held belief of mine that you can be as rich as you want but that doesn't mean you're going to be stylish i do love his polo shirts though i will i love that he has them in all the colors yeah but why is he wearing polo shirts <laughs> they're comfortable i can't be objective on this because it's my husband's casual shirt is a polo shirt your husband is not a 17 year old boy <laughs> yeah but he's always worn polo shirts i think Aww. he was born with one cute <laughs> Um, I did have Dead Man Walking. I had a little bit of Dead Man Walking. I think, I, I'm wondering, I have a question for you. When they find this body in the woods, before they find the wallet, and Blue has been thinking about how Gansey, she knows that he will die. She knows that he has died before because he's just told her he was given the death card at that reading, but it wasn't interpreted for him. And then they find this body in the woods and she looks at him and there's like lightning and she sees, she's like really aware of his skull under his skin and his mm. cheekbones and i'm just wondering do you think for a second that she thinks that that might be gansey oh no i did not see that but you mean like aglumby sweater oh yeah yeah right like i think like yeah. i hadn't picked it up but i had a moment where i was like oh she's looking at him like is this especially if yeah we've just had that bit where you know we've got ronan's handwriting so you this idea that time is looping back in on itself yeah. so yeah oh yeah you could you can read it like that definitely okay good i was, hmm. I was just feeling like oh no she's really scared that it's him and she's trying to see if it's him because she's looking at him like is the skull you <laughs> Ooh, i can't imagine like stepping on an arm bone i know she's real chill about it i don't i wouldn't be that chill i think she does exactly what i would do which is don't touch anything fingerprints i love that she said that because i'm like i would probably be the same thing like no it wouldn't it doesn't matter at this point like but also no don't leave it it's a crime scene yeah don't touch anything they might think we did it <laughs> seven years ago before you even moved here like you get scared like just irrationally because anxiety is really fun like that like you get scared that you accidentally put a bomb in your luggage even though you would never do that at the airport you know <laughs> Okay. Do you never get this where you're like, no, oh, no, I'm being stiffer, dog. What if I accidentally somehow made a bomb and didn't realize what if my shampoo is actually an accelerant? Like, I get this. Oh my gosh. I can't believe you don't feel this. This this happens to me all the time. Or you're like, do I somehow have a gun? I don't even know what to do, but do I somehow have a gun? Oh, I don't mean to laugh. It's, but it's, like, it's like it's a genuine fear of mine. So I do oh. not like going out in the woods where I'm like, okay, this could be really dodgy. Because I would immediately be like, there's gonna arrest me and i swear i didn't do it but what if i did so anyway i'm with blue on this it's very stressful <laughs> you're just like confessing to a crime you had nothing to do with because you're like but what if it was me but it could have been i don't remember everything i've done my whole life oh my goodness that sounds stressful let's talk about connection real quick yeah yeah, yeah. i want to talk about adam and blue's connection through their relationship to money but especially Gansey's money. Because mm -hmm. you know how Blue insists on paying for her own food and things. And they Adam says, well, you know, now we have to eat at the gas station. Because that's basically all Blue can afford. Yeah. But he also says that, you know, 
you know, Gansey wants to pay for a crisp and then she doesn't let him. And he says Adam was proud of her. And I thought that was like, it was interesting to me that Adam was proud of her as a, a thing there. I don't know why it really stood out to me. I think it's because it's affirming his worldview. It's saying he is right to reject Gansey's offers of generosity. He's right to do that. Yeah. Because she comes at it from the same angle, right? Which is like, I don't want to be beholden to you. Which is, um, yet again, a weird take. It's a weird take. These kids, this isn't Gansey's money. Like, he did not earn this. This is his dad's and dad's dad's and dad's 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 money. Like, this is white colonial settler money, guys. Just take it. Gansey Sr. <laughs> is not going to care. What do you think is going to happen if this kid who never sees a credit card bill, never pays the credit card bill, puts your chips on the credit card? Nothing's going to happen, except that he gets to feel a little better about it, and you get to keep your money that you actually worked hard for. Just the idea of being beholden to someone, because, like, especially being beholden to Gansey, I think, because Gansey has never behaved in a way that suggests that anyone owes him anything. Mm. So the fact that both Adam and Blue are like, oh, we can't accept your charity because you're just going to own us. It's so weird to me because Kenzie would never behave like that. And yeah. Adam at least should know better. He knows Adam, like he knows Gansey a lot longer than Blue, but yeah. it's just not his nature, you know? That one struck me too because it makes me feel like they doubt Gansey's goodness. Like they doubt his motives for altruism, for generosity, when really he yes. wants to help. Like the whole thing with Gansey is that he sees an opportunity to help and wants to. It's almost like it casts doubt on Gansey's, like the honesty of Gansey's mm -hmm. friendship or the sincerity of his friendship, yeah. right? He actually just needs to sit them down and say, look, I appreciate your objections, but you actually hurt me by saying these things. You like wound me because you are casting doubt upon my intentions. Yeah, they are. They're really, um, they're sort of challenging his integrity. Yeah, absolutely. And it's... I mean, it's very much a communication thing where, like, he just needs to say to them, like, it doesn't cost me anything and I, I love to take care of you. And they need to say, yeah, but it makes us feel a bit weird. And, like, maybe they can arrange a thing where, like, he can pay for some things. Like, he'll always be in charge of. And I think this is part of why he always drives, right? Because that way he's in charge mm. of, like, getting them places and he pays for the petrol. And Maybe he should employ them. <laughs> like, we spend 20 hours a week Glendower hunting. What is your weekly pay i will just pay you per hour for glendale but then hunting. i think that turns it into like a boss situation right and that's what he's trying not to do and i think mm. that maybe that's where blue is like she is acting like she's in the group but she's still not sure she has some like uncertainty about whether or not she's in 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 whereas they're all like yeah she's part of the gangsy bring her in even ronan is like fine i'll be polite because she asked me to this is what that means he hasn't sworn at her yet, but <laughs> when that happens, you'll know it's real. Um, another connection thing that I wanted to talk about was how you've got the connection between Bloon and Gansey in this mm. section, right? Like, them trading those confidences is a big moment. Yes. Crush watch. Part of the reason I love this so much is because they're both really honest with each other. And what you get is you actually get Gansey being himself like his whole self with her so we hear a lot about Gansey's like various personas like president cellphone and then like expansive oil baron Gansey but <laughs> when he's telling the story she's talking about how he's the most Gansey he's ever been right 
it was yeah. this was the Gansey who had written the journal. The truth of it, the magic of it, possessed her. Like that is not someone who doesn't have a stake in the game. This Gansey, the storytelling Gansey, was a different person altogether than any of the other versions of him she'd encountered. She couldn't not listen. Yeah, and that um, line on page two sixty eight. For a moment, the silent wasn't even un- uncomfortable, and then he said, his voice more ordinary. Thanks for telling me, trusting me with something like that. This is a real turning mm. point for them. I think. Like when I first read that, this is the moment where I'm like, yeah, okay, she's got this flirtation with Adam, but this is. This is so much yeah. more than that. This has got weight. Yeah. She's not having to be careful with him in the same way. The, yeah. So the thing I noticed was like in the last section when she was like, I have to get Adam's respect really quickly. I have this moment to say the right thing because otherwise it's gone forever. She already has clued into the fact that Adam is not ever going to be wholehearted. And that's not, it's not to say it's because of her or because of him or whatever. It's just she's already, she already knows that he's got a certain reserve. Whereas with Gansey, she can say the wrong thing and then say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have made light of that. Or, and he can do the same with her where he's like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have laughed. Mm. This is serious, isn't it? I was being a jerk. Like, they have this give and take. They have this actual honest communication, which is like, finally, it's happening. Makes me real happy. I love it. Thank you, people actually talking. Yeah, which leads into, like, this other thing that I want to talk about in connection, which is Adam's jealousy, right? So when Gansey brings Adam back to Monmouth, there's that moment where he says about Ronan, okay, so Ronan doesn't Mm. know what's going on either, and that, like, takes a weight off him. If Ronan had known, then he would have been supremely jealous of that, right? Because that means he's out of the loop. And then when Gansey mentions that he's been out with Blue, then he has that real flair of jealousy. But I wonder who he's actually jealous of. Is he jealous of Gansey because he's hung out with Blue, or is he jealous of Blue because Gansey's gone out with her and not him. I think Adam doesn't feel like he's the favorite and he just really wants to be the favorite. I think he wants to be someone's favorite. And I think that's why that moment is so confusing for him because he doesn't know if it's Gansey or Blue. Maybe it's both. And that's doubt as well, right? Because he's kind of doubting both of their intentions and doubting himself. The thing I love about this friend group is that it is so intense. And, you know, for them, it has to be because what they're doing is extremely intense. The experiences they're going to have together, like they kind of need to have that hugely foundational, intense obsession with each other in order to like bear witness to what's going to happen. But sometimes. But it's not unreasonable. Sometimes I also think like you guys need to chill. I don't know. I feel like it's very true to life, though, right? Like we've all surely we've all been in that situation where you're in a friendship group. Sometimes you have more intense relationships with some people than others. And then you like they start paying attention to someone else. And then you do have that flare of jealousy because you're like, you're my best friend. You know, what? what, why are you now friends with that person? Like we used to do this all the time. And now you're hanging out with that person. And you do like in adolescence, you certainly do have those flares of jealousy. That's certainly true. And that takes, you know, that that goes beyond being a teen I think like definitely drags into your early 20s when you you're starting to figure out your friendship groups yeah. and you're drifting apart and then someone tells someone else something but you haven't heard until the last moment and you're like I thought we were still yeah. friends and like you would never say that but you feel so put out by it and it's just constant nonsense it is it's, that's what it, and you know what it's like just the lack of connection that affects everyone and it's yeah. just it hurts it's hard and then you get to your 30s and you're just tired all the time and you hear it through whatsapp three months later you're like oh that's nice yeah Oh, I'm glad I caught up with all my school friends. <laughs> our once in a year chat. <laughs> See you in another ten years. Exactly. Have a nice day. And, but like, this is the thing: when you're young, you feel like your only friends are going to be the ones that you've only connected with, like this. And they haven't really mm. lived long enough to know that this is a season. They're going to go in different directions, and what they make of that, how intense their friendships are or not, this is this is the moment now. But like in five years, 
they're going to have shared these experiences, but it still won't be quite the same as them experiencing it together now. And they're going to change and grow and the, the friendships will not necessarily grow with them. Some friendships are just for a season and that doesn't make them any less valuable. I'm not saying that's going to happen mm. to this group, but you know, like it doesn't mean that they're not important. Oh, yes. Also, another connection. I just, we're starting to see that connection between Ronan and Caveswater. Like obviously we don't know that Ronan dreamt Caveswater yet, but mm. we know that but not in the text. But I love that Blue says, you know, it feels like going into someone's house when she talks yeah. about Caveswater. I'm like, yes, you're going into Ronan's mind. That is so personal. That's so intense. I just love it so much that this is what he dreamt up. Like, a person who dreams something like that can't be the kind of miserable, horrible person, you know? Like, he's got this whole thing going where he's, like, real sulky and mean, but the truth is he dreams up these beautiful places to go and see and... I don't know. There's something about that. Something poetic. I like that we're seeing that he's protective of himself and that that's the why of it. But that really he is soft and small inside. I love that he's trying hard too. Like for me, this is the turning point where in the first book, this is my favorite section for many reasons. But I love that we get Ronan actually like not being a jerk for the sake of being a jerk. I love that we get Ronan trying to calm everyone down when Gansey comes in like freaking out. Like where's Noah? What class does he have with you? What's his last name? And everyone's like, well, huh? And Ronan's just like, you need to chill you've completely gone nuts like calm down like he's taking on the sensible persona like they just the way they care for each other all of them I just love the connection so much that they have yeah I think that's also just a real sign of you know we've spoken before about Ronan acts the way that people expect mm. him to act right like he fills the void that people leave for him so when people expect him to behave badly he behaves badly but in this instance because Gansey's freaking out there's suddenly room for him to be responsible and to step up into that role and he is more than oh, capable yeah. when given the chance but it's just no one ever gives him the chance really yeah, and he goes over to talk to Noah and Noah's sick when they find the Mustang yeah. like he's the one who Blue starts out with him but then Ronan goes over and talks to him I don't know just real MVP good friending from him this week I'm, I'm very happy with him well I'm glad that you're happy with him I, I get very frustrated when he acts badly because I'm like you can do better I know you can do better it's okay though he's allowed to act badly <laughs> this is true he's basically an orphan if I were there I'd give him a curfew and I wouldn't let him swear me. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I think we should probably talk about Mora and Blue before we move on. Oh yes, you're absolutely right. Because that was a moment of doubt as well. I guess, you know, <laughs> Mora doubts Blue's intentions, but she doesn't really because she knows what she's doing. But she's like, you're not going to kiss him, are you? Yeah. She's doing that mom thing that moms do, where it's like, sometimes you say things just to annoy your kids because you're annoyed by them. Mm. I mean, it's a family thing. It happens in families. But like, I've definitely experienced both the daughter and the mother component of that in my life. Sometimes it's irresistible just to needle someone that you love after they've bothered you about something or annoyed you. And my one you had written next to when Kala says, this is what you get for using your DNA to make a child or whatever it is. You wrote, yeah, I feel this. <laughs> That's how I feel all the time with my kids. I'm like, oh, yeah. Especially when my son does something where he's just like real obstinate. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is me. <laughs> I love that line, though. It always makes me happy because it's telling Blue from the perspective of the other two women who raised her that, like, you see how well your mother is. You see how well she is. So, like, you're going to be fine mm. because... You're the same. You're the same, yeah. Which is really nice. It's kind of like, Kala's not very good at being loving, but I think she is quite loving in her own way. She's a bit like Ronan. She's all prickles, but she's squishy inside like a cactus. Mm. 
there was also a moment there where Blue sort of was like, oh, she's going to still talk to me even though I let her down, but she's just not going to tell me anything. And I'm like, well, but your parents don't owe you their life stories or every moment of their day. Like, I think Blue is 16 now and is old enough to sort of go, right, okay, so I don't need to know all of the details of what my parents are getting up to, right? Mm. Like, it's a bit like, she's like, oh, she's just not going to talk to me about this stuff. But like, also, not everything is your business. I think that's an interesting observation about teenagers is kind of like, they don't want to share all of their business because privacy, but they think they're entitled to their parents' business. Like, your parents are fully-fledged human beings. And you don't realize this maybe Mm. until you're a bit older. But, you know, they have rich lives. We spoke about that with Neverwhere, with Richard's mum, where we're like, you don't appreciate that your mum has a full life. And just because you live in each other's pockets in Fox Way doesn't necessarily mean you know absolutely everything about your mum, and nor should you. Yeah, there has to be some separation, right? Like, if they didn't have a difference, if they didn't have that, like, distinction between them, then it would just be really weird. Mm. Whenever people are like, oh, my kid's my best friend, and their kid's, like, under the age of 30, I'm like, why? Mm. Is your child your best friend? Especially if it's, like, a teenager. I'm like, no, this is not the Gilmore Girls. (laughs) And look how well that worked out. I'm just saying, that was a fictional show. We're not the Gilmore Girls. We have to actually be parents and do the parenting and... Like, Mora is doing the parenting. So four for you, Mora. I'm going to call her a Gryffindor. She seems very much like a Gryffindor. So ten points to Gryffindor. She does feel like a Gryffindor. And I think the important thing I took away from that is that she knows that Blue is going to be sensible, but she's also like, it's really hard to let your kids go and do the thing. Well, I mean, especially because Mora knows Blue's going to get hurt. Like, there's no other way for her mm. to get out of this unscathed, right? So she knows she's going to be wounded yeah. in some way. So now you're going to let your kid go off and hurt themselves. Like, I can't imagine. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen, you know? The best thing you can do is just be there to pick up the pieces. Yeah. Maura did very well this week. I loved that she was just real salty about it. (laughs) Did you have any tangential marginalia? I've spoken about all mine. There was only one thing, and it was on page 270, Mm -hmm. when Gansey is sharing the story about how he died... And he said, hornets, like you said. I'm like, but Blue never actually said hornets. She thought it, but she didn't say it. So why do you say hornets, like you said? When did she say it? There's no, I I was just like, this was never said. But are you reading her mind, Gansey? Same thing. He said, I was nine or 10. I'm like, you would know what age you were when you died. Yeah. Especially because, you know, he's what, 16. That's not that long ago. (laughs) It's not like now when I tell stories and I'm like, maybe I was 12. Maybe I was 14. I don't know. I think the only other one I had was... Gansey's ridiculous polo shirt. <laughs> aquamarine is a wonderful color and I won't be made to feel bad for wearing it. Went looking for my aquamarine shirt and I could not find it. And I was very sad. I was going to wear it to mark Aww. the occasion. I do not have topsiders though. Thank you. Well, goodness. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm not ridiculous. I'm not going to fall into a yacht. Uh, no, it's a choice. <laughs> it's a choice that he's making. I love his terrible, like I love all of his neon polo shirts. And I love that he loves his topsiders and his no pesticide juice and... I just like thinking about the five of them standing next to each other as like an outside observer and just witnessing this and being like, what am I looking at here? You know? It's like, have you ever seen the movie St. Trinity? Yeah. They like go through introducing all of the groups. Yeah. It's like you've got one of each of them. It's like when I hang out with my friends, but especially my friends Meredith and Mike, sometimes I just sit there being like, what do we look like from the outside to people? This is the weirdest group. We are just the weirdest group. <laughs> It doesn't make sense, like, looking at us. It doesn't make sense. And here, here we are. I love it. I'm all for eclectic friend groups. Well, did you want to do in-depth marginalia? 
Yeah, sure. I know we picked the same one this week. Are you sure you're okay? Yeah, you go first. You do that one. (laughs) Okay. This one really struck me and I wanted to talk about it because it like it really rang a bell in my head. So on page 237, Gansey told Adam, I don't know what it is. Historically, this phrase had been a very good way of losing Adam's respect. The only way to counteract admitting to not knowing something was to immediately follow it with the words, but I'll find out. Adam didn't give people much time to find out, only as much time as he'd give himself. But Gansey had never let him down. Now the context here is that Adam and Gansey are having a conversation about the dreaming tree. Gansey doesn't know what it is, even though Gansey's done the most research. They don't know what the vision means, if it's a prophecy, if it's a dream, if it's just a thought. Like, it's all very much up in the air. So the way that I've linked it to the themes is that Adam doesn't, like, doubt, and neither does Gansey. Like, there's a whole other section after they've discovered that Noah is a ghost where, like, once Noah appears, Gansey could kind of put that into context. Like, okay, this is a fact. It's improbable, but it's a fact. So these are two kids who really don't like doubt. Like, they like things that are either observable or provable or explainable but the thing that really caught me about this was that Adam's admission is that he doesn't like he doesn't allow for people's ignorance outside of what he himself could sort through and I think that that's really telling he wants to have certainty even if it's not the right or best outcome like he just wants to know what's going to happen or what he can expect and I like maybe part of that's a trauma response but part of that is probably personality too so Adam's really quite inflexible in a lot of ways but I think the fact that he's connected to Gansey and he's kind of like willing to put his trust in him, even though he does have that doubt, it's a really important thing to note. And the other text that it reminds me of is that my kids do social skills groups. And because everything was on Zoom this year, I was like in the room for them. And so I spent like three hours learning about Superflex and Rock Brain. And we want to be Superflex because Superflex can roll with the punches. Superflex is resilient. <laughs> Superflex is the one to be. And um, Adam is definitely a rock brain in a lot of things. No, I think that I'm guilty of this as well, which is why I picked it. Like, I don't mind teaching somebody to do something or like explaining something, but I get really taken aback when people reveal their biases. And I do think that I might judge people badly for people who won't, like, if they won't put in the work, I will judge them for Mm -hmm. that. But I want to be able to look for when people are like acting in good faith. Like, so if they're asking me questions, not just to straw man me, I want to be like, okay, so they actually don't know and they really want an answer for this. Because there are people who don't know stuff, like myself included, but it's not because they're dumb or uninterested or not worthy of my respect or time. I don't owe them an explanation necessarily, but also I don't owe them scorn Mm. if they want to know something that I do or they want to know more about it. So I'm just going to like try and balance that and remind myself that even though I want to learn everything, I also don't have the time. Mm. So I can't really judge others. That's great. It's a good outcome. Definitely something that I was called to in that as well, because I definitely do not give people much time to find out either. It's a very hard or fast thing with me and I am very judgy about it. So yeah. And you're super smart, which is probably part of it, right? So it comes a lot more easily to you to like get your head around things and you're like, why don't you just do the advanced it's really problematic for me because i tend to skip steps so you know i someone will start explaining something and i'm already at the end of the explanation and then i have to wait Mm -hmm. for everyone else to go through the steps and i'm like oh come on i'm either that or i'm like five steps behind trying desperately to catch up and feeling more and more panicky like i there's no in between i'm never at the right time adhd you're either like skipping across the lake or you're still on the shore going wait wait come back Yeah, so I definitely need to be more patient and kind, I think. Definitely called to do that. But I think you're pretty amazing, so. That's very kind of you. So how about you? Do you have in-depth marginalia? Yes, so I chose a passage on page 240, and it is, Adam wasn't certain what came first with Blue, her treating the boys as friends or them all becoming friends. It seemed to Adam that this circular way to build relationships required a healthy amount of self-confidence to undertake. 
So the context for this is they're all in the peg on their way to Cape's water again for the first time. And like Blue has pulled Adam and Noah to her to wear his little blanket. And Adam is just kind of musing on the fact that she's just fit into this group. And it feels like she's always been on this hunt for Glendower with mm. them. I think there's an element of doubt here, like linking to our theme, because Adam doesn't really understand how this has happened. He doesn't get how it's so easy for Blue to make friends, how it's so easy for her just to fit, right? Um, I think he's very yeah. confused by the process. But there's also the theme of connection because Blue is just able to forge these connections by just treating people as friends, yeah. right? My friends and I often talk about how difficult it is to make friends as an adult. So as a kid, you know, you were on the playground. You're like, oh, we're both wearing the same socks. Let's be friends. Or look at this cool rock. Let's be friends. But as an adult, it doesn't really work that way. And especially for me, you know, I've moved countries a couple of times and every time you start from scratch and it's really hard to get those connections going and it takes a while, especially for me because I'm not a warm, cuddly, open person. I'm like Ronan. So the idea of making friends is, it's a difficult thing for me. I am the dark. Yeah, I am the night. I am the night. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I feel like there's a lot of talk about how hard it is to forge connections in the modern world. And, you know, people try to make apps for that, like dating apps, but they're for friends. Or there's this idea of like, you know, with the Casper to Kyle book that we both read, where it's like, how do you forge yeah. communities? How do you create communities in this really interconnected world? Where, yeah, it's easy to have online relationships, but they don't necessarily fulfill you the same way that an in-person relationship would. Yeah. And I think what really stood out to me in this is just the idea that what came first, the fact that she treated them as friends or them all becoming friends and it's like if you want to be friends with someone just treat them like your friend and then you will become friends purely through that action <laughs> sounds simple but it's kind of revolutionary in a way and i think about this at work because i've got a really good relationship with a lot of people that i work with now and like at first you know it takes me a while to warm up to people but i think they do genuinely like me which never stops being funny to me i'm like oh my gosh you like me this is so funny you're so likable <laughs> i know but i'm such a menace to society <laughs> but that doesn't mean you're not likable yeah. and then there's a moment where i'm like oh we're actually friends you know it always surprises me when i realize that i'm friends with people and so I think going forward what this caused me to do is like when you like someone and you think hey this is someone I could be friends with just treat them like a friend maybe it truly is that easy it super is everyone's a friend until proven otherwise for me such a hufflepuff thing um anyway no one should ever be mean to you I will end them you Thanks. let me know I'll take them out same and I will make sure that you are nice to the people in your life and that you don't destroy them just for thank fun. you <laughs> as discussed during the week yeah I'm like, is this, is this ethical? And you're like, no. I mean, like, if they were a bad person, maybe it would have been okay. But like, they seem okay. But can we just appreciate my growth and that I paused and went, I don't think this is ethical. I'm just going to check before I do the bad thing. I'm like, I don't think it's right. I will be your moral meter. I'm okay with that. That's a job I'm willing to take on. Oh, sad. <laughs> that was a really fun conversation. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Um, so who would you like to uh, spotlight this week? Are you going to be mad at me if I spotlight Ronan again? I was going to be like, don't do it. Spotlight Adam. I've got a reason for spotlighting Adam. But then I do just both. really... Okay. So I want to spotlight Adam because he is being... He's the most pragmatic and the logical of them. And he has that line where he says, you know, it felt like reality was breaking open underneath him. And I think this is yeah. such a challenging thing for him to be like, so, you know, rock brained, as you said, and so set in his idea of the world. And then to be faced with all these things like 
what Noah is a ghost and magic is real and everything is going on and on top of all that he's still working three jobs and trying to get through school and like doing all these things like he just has so much going on like he must just be mentally and physically exhausted all of the time so I just wanted to give him a big big shout out because to anyone who has their sense of the world challenge like it's a hard thing to ride through and he has to now reckon with that um but I also want to spotlight Ronan because I just think he is so soft and lovely in this section. And, you know, the fact that mm-hmm. he has dreamt Caves Water, which is this magical place, and that's come from him. That is what he's like on the inside. And, like, seeing him yeah. with Chainsaw and how Adam remarks that he's capable of this thoughtless kindness. It reminds me of Harry Potter, you know, when Sirius says, if you want to know the shape of a man, see how he treats his inferiors. And, like... We can judge Ronan for the way that he treats people, but the people he genuinely cares about and the people who really depend on him, he is actually always there for them. He's there for Matthew. He's there for Chainsaw. You know, he's like, we have to be back in three hours because I got to feed her. Like he is, he's capable of so much goodness and he's just been hurt so much that he's got this hard exterior. And I just, I just love him. I endorse this. Yeah, I love that you brought all of that up. And I think that's really telling. It is that he only punches up, isn't it? Yeah. Equal weight. Yeah, he won't. He doesn't take advantage of people who are vulnerable. He's very protective of the people that he cares about, but he's not just a jerk. No. Um, Who did you want to spotlight? I would like to spotlight Noah. Because he's been dead for seven years. And he told everyone. (laughs) And nobody listened. But I also want to spotlight the fact that he decided pretty much 20 seconds after meeting Blue that he would do anything for mm. her. I also feel like I would do anything for Blue Sergeant. And I love that he's cold and he tries not to steal heat from Blue, but she cuddles him anyway. And I love that he's the first one to go into the wood, even though it is the hardest place. I, like, I cannot imagine what it would be like for him knowing that his death is somewhere in there. Mm. But he still goes first. Like, he's the most courageous. It's like all of the courage that he hasn't had in any other way happens here. So I just want to spotlight Noah. Yeah. He's had a hard time. He really has, and he deserved better. He did. Love him. Well, next week we're going to be reading chapters 30 to 34 through the theme of presence. Mm. Yeah. Even more ghostly. I guess, technically, we're not going to be doing Ghost Watch anymore because we have ghost confirmation. (laughs) So that was the last Ghost Watch. Sad. At least we have this and each other. And great books to read. What more could we want? Exactly. (sighs) All right. Well, I will see you next week. Look forward to it. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Jen D and Jen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.